0: So I didn't really add anything to the list, so maybe we can get through it today. I don't know. We'll see. But, uh, you know, because it's the same list, it's the same agenda, which is mostly news and notes, notes, not nopes, notes type stuff. Uh, A lot of bears and lions. Maybe we'll see how the ranty stuff goes, but uh, take a look at the lion situation. Obviously, they're in a much better situation cap-wise, but as I said before, cap isn't their situation. Can they finally, for the first time ever... Use their resources appropriately to form a winning team. That's their situation. But uh, we'll look at the Lions. And then there's a couple of questions kind of lingering out there. So, very vague. The funny thing about this is that I have a general outline, and then I go down this road, and then I go on a tangent, which kind of lays out a very specific show that I didn't really lay out now because I didn't intend it. And then I give you the title of the show, which tells you specifically what the show's about. And so you generally come into this show right now knowing what it's about more so than I do. But I, I have to I have to do this part, right? I think I have to do this part. Maybe I don't have to do this part. It kind of twists my brain up thinking about it. I'm going to explain to people that know more than I know about what I'm about to say. It's freaky. Get out of my head. But anyways, before we get there, I've got some very, very, very exciting news. We are officially today at 100 patrons. It was maybe two weeks ago I kind of just gave up and said, I don't think we're getting there, but whatever. And we did it. With was almost a week to spare. So it's officially official, unless a bunch of people decide, forget this guy and cancel their Patreon subscriptions, I think we're good. So at the end of this month, I will be doing a um, a giveaway. And again, what that is, for every dollar that you gave, so if you give $1 on Patreon, you have one entry. If you gave $5 or $10, you get 5 or 10 entries into this uh, drawing. I'm going to randomly select a name, and then that person will have the opportunity to tell me what kind of a design they would love to have for a Packers t-shirt. I will go out, pay to have it designed for you, and ship it out to your house. And then I will sell that shirt in um, my merch store. So I think it's a cool giveaway. I don't know. Again, if you want to get involved in that giveaway or if you just want to help out the show, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. You can get in for as little as a dollar a month. I'm going to be doing giveaways every single month. So if you don't win, don't feel too discouraged. We're going to do it again. I might do the same giveaway because I'm not exactly sure how to top this. But um, I'll tell you what, maybe that's what I'll do is I'll throw some, uh, I'll throw that to you in the Facebook group and you can give me some ideas on some giveaways that you think would be great. Keep in mind, losing money on this deal isn't exactly my idea of, of the right way of doing this. Although, pretty close to doing that with <laughs> this shirt idea. Whatever, I think it's a good idea and I'm excited to do it, so I'm doing it anyways. My wife wasn't too thrilled. Apparently she's better at math than I am, I don't know. Isn't the point of this to make money? Like, um, well, yeah, I guess, I don't know. I just do stuff, I don't, I don't think sometimes. It's alright, we're all having fun, right? But anyways, special thank you to James, Adam, and Riker. Thank you guys for pushing, uh, pushing us over into the 100 mark. Also, Scott, not sure if you remember our conversation from yesterday, but you said you wanted to be either number 100 or 101. You better get on it, big dog, because um, you're running out of time. But thank you all very much for that. Make sure you are all in the Packernet Podcast Facebook group. If you're a fan of the Packers and if you're on Facebook, I don't know why you wouldn't be in the group. It's a fantastic group. I'm in other Packers groups. They're annoying. My group, it's not annoying. It's just glorious all the time. That's not even me bragging, because I'm not the one creating the content. The members of the group are, and they're magnificent. Make sure you also like the Packer Podcast Facebook page. What else? Leave a rating and review if you wouldn't mind. Word of mouth, always a good thing. Again, try to ease it into conversation. Hey, have you ever been to that taco joint down on the corner? I don't know, have you ever done a smart thing in your life and listened to the Packernet podcast, or are you just dumb all the time? You know, however you ease it in, I don't know. I'm just trying to help you. I'm, I'm, I'm a conversationalist, you know, I, I know how to, I'm, I'm, I'm smooth like that. Subtle. like a Like a word ninja. So, if you need more ideas or suggestions, feel free to reach out. Sometimes I say serious stuff. But anyways, why don't we take a break? And I'll see if I can clear the board today. How's that sound? Good. Good. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark until now introducing slab packs from arena club.com. The only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards and clear hit rates for each one. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. This spring, if you're looking for something to do and you just have no ideas and you got just all the time in the world, perhaps you should follow your favorite baseball teams to Arizona for the Cactus League spring training. They've got great weather, great landscapes, exciting outdoor adventures, and fantastic food like cheese crisps. Why won't somebody make me a cheese crisp? Does nobody know what a cry for help sounds like? My goodness. Arizona is the perfect home base for baseball fans. I'm guessing if you're a baseball fanatic, you've probably already been. But if you haven't, I mean, this, is, this, is, this should be the top of your bucket list. Ten stadiums, all just kind of crammed into a tiny little area filled with 15 different baseball teams in beautiful weather with fantastic food. By the way, you're in Arizona. If you're not from Arizona, you should probably go to Arizona because it's a very unique kind of a place that also should be on everyone's bucket list, unless you live there, in which case, I don't know, go watch baseball while you're there. Otherwise, I'm sure you you get the idea of what it's like there, but you know. If you got a big family but a small budget, this, I, I mean, this is a fantastic, fantastic idea. Orlando's great, but oh my goodness, is that expensive. This is a fantastic idea for big families. They've got all kinds of family-friendly resorts and hotels and plenty of fun things to do for kids from all ages, from water parks to horseback rides, games, activities, and oh yeah, if I didn't mention it, baseball. So why don't you plan your spring training getaway at visitarizona.com slash spring training. All right, so let's actually start this off. I started the process yesterday but didn't finish it because life. But i, I I've been wanting to do offensive tackles in the draft and I just, I can't. Do it. There are certain positions I like. There are certain positions I enjoy watching. There are certain positions I feel like I have somewhat of an understanding of watching. Offensive tackle is just not one. It's 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 weird because I feel like it must be really easy to watch, because again, when you look at the hit rate, all the good tackles are taken first round, usually early first. So it seems like scouts pretty much have tackles pegged, because all the good ones get taken, and then once they're gone. There's no flukes that slip through the cracks that could take late. I mean, occasionally David Bakhtiari types or whatever slip, but very rarely. So I'm coming into this thinking this must be the easiest thing. The hard thing about it, number one, there's almost no tape on any of these guys. If you look at, you know, trying to watch film on certain prospects and whatnot, offensive linemen are always the last to get any film. And then they don't even have their own. It's just here's the offensive line as a unit, which I guess is fine. But even then, there's nothing. And the, pro- the biggest problem I have is they always win. And it's just largely dependent on how good the guy across from him is. For, for, so, for example, I always pick the top 20 on my board. I set them aside. I watch number 20 first, and I work my way up. That's how I do these little scouting things that I've been doing. I went and grab. First of all, the problem is tackle or guard or whatever. So I got to go through and whatever. So you filter it out. You get your new list of 20. And then I, I watch the one one tape there is of this offensive tackle. And he just wins all the time. And the guy he's going up against is not very good. So he doesn't have to do much. And it's like, well, what am I supposed to say about that? He dominated one guy all day. I, I, okay. So I, I I don't know. I just, I gave up. I got to figure something out for tackle that's going to be a little bit better. And I decided, you know what? I'm going to do a position I love watching. And that's running backs, which is kind of a need for the Packers. So I'm going to start. I'll tell you what, again, I grab 20. I start at the bottom really excited about pretty much all of them, except one that I couldn't get excited about. So I'll just give you a brief update on these guys. I I don't know. I I don't want to say it's an underrated class because I haven't seen the upper end. And really all that people are saying is, you know, maybe you get a couple first round guys, maybe nobody in the first round goes. I have a feeling, however, that an underrated aspect is that this is going to be a relatively deep running back group. I don't know. But I, I just... When you start at twenty and it's like, dude, I like this guy, and then you go to nineteen, it's like, dude, I like this guy, and then you go to eighteen, it's like, what, what is going on? Really like this guy. It's uh, it, it, I'm 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 excited. Very good start. But so far, out of the top twenty, I watched fourteen through twenty. The only one I put in the no thanks category is the guy that is number seventeen on my list of uh, of running backs, and that's Levante Bellamy, five foot nine, one ninety, out of Western Michigan. Just kind of. Meh, across the board for me. Uh, After that, my maybe was Jermichael Hasty, fantastic name. Don't know why, just pretty good name. He was number 20 on this list. Again, I kind of liked him, and actually, my my comp for him was Dalvin Cook Light, because he just reminds me of Dalvin Cook. I think he's going to have a terrible three-cone like Dalvin Cook did, and I I predicted he would. He doesn't seem super shifty, but man, when he takes off, he takes off, and he's got some breakaway speed once he can get kind of up to speed. So, you know, is he going to be one of the top running backs in the NFL? Probably not. But I think he could have a really solid role. And if, if he goes to a team with a good offensive line, and he's pretty regularly got space, he's just going to carve people up all day long. But uh, he's actually extremely hard to evaluate because they just throw the ball at Baylor all the time. Then I've got four guys in my list of guys that I like. And the, the problem is, I always set up my tiers kind of thinking, you know, I got no thanks, maybe, like, and love. Every time I do tiers, I do them differently because I didn't like how I did them last time. And the problem is <laughs> I'm already into my love category and then there's guys that I like more than that and it's like jeez I got to change I got to create a new tier for this guy now. But I've got four in my like column. The bottom so far of that four is Darius Anderson out of TCU, 5'11, 195. Kind of see him as an Aaron Jones type guy. I've got two guys that I see as more Aaron Jonesy. And really the only reason I say that is because they're the kind of guys that when I watch him, it's just one of those things where it's like it shouldn't work, but it does. They just make it work. You look at it and you go, "Oh, there's nothing there," and he gets five yards. It's like how every single time he runs, there's this expectation in your mind of, "Oh, that's you know going to get two yards," and it gets five, or that's going to get five yards and it gets nine. He just has that special ability that Aaron Jones has. Something else I've noticed about the group, at least so far, a lot of receivers. Darius Sanders, not a TCU, real solid receiver. The other kind of Aaron Jonesy attribute is sort of that. You know, maybe there's there's a slight hesitation, but he just sees it and he just goes. And again, he just he grabs a ball, he goes, and he just makes more out of it than you would expect. And that's to me, that's Aaron Jones. Next is JJ Taylor out of Arizona. I I, I think this guy's gonna fall because he's 5'6", 185, but I really like him. His comp obviously is Darren Sproles, who is five six one ninety, I think. So he's like he is Darren Sproles. But, man, I just I – I I th- again, I think he's going to fall into, the, like, the fourth-ish, fifth-ish round because he's going to be seen exclusively as a scat back, possibly as a returner like Sproles was. But I just – you know, for 5'6", 185, the guy can thump. And it, it's almost to his benefit because he's so low. Right, I've seen him take guys on. He'd take on a linebacker, and because he gets the low ground, he knocks the guy straight backward. Of course, the 5'6", guys always get lost. But the greatest thing about J.J. J. Taylor – He's one of those guys that when he gets in the open space, there's just this anticipation of, oh boy, here we go. He's just so quick, and it's like one of the you got to contain the guy. And uh, I I love him as a route runner and as a receiver. I just I think he can do a lot of damage. Um, but I do think because he's the only reason he's not way higher is because I don't think he's going to be uh, your three-down back. He's going to be exclusively a a situational back, and that's you know I can't put him on the way upper tiers. But just based on what he does, he, he's really fun to watch. Uh, above him, I've got Darrington Evans, Appalachian State, 5'11", 185. Another Aaron Jones type, just because it's, again, shouldn't work, but it does. But I love his ability to navigate traffic. He's He just, he weaves guy weaves traffic inside a pile of bodies, which is so weird to watch. Usually when guys get into a pile, they just kind of lower their head and push. This guy's in there like juking and dancing and weaves his way through it like how do you weave in there there's no where to go but very slippery more power than you'd think he's 5'11 185 so for 185 more power than you think mostly a you know between the 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 guard and tackle or center and guard kind of a runner but occasionally does outside zone type stuff just a good runner I just think he's extremely instinctive and I think that's important then above that and again another thing that I got to try to figure out in my rankings is it's not always so much who I like, because that would put J.J. Taylor at the top. It's about calculated and educated guessing on who's actually going to have the best NFL career. So my highest of the like category is Javon Leakey out of Maryland, six foot two hundred. He's not actually my favorite to watch, but I feel like if the Packers were to take somebody, it would be a guy like Javon Leakey because he's first of all bigger, six foot two hundred. Remember, Brian Gutekunst likes guys that are like two hundred and twenty pounds. So far, Jamichael Hasty at two o three is the biggest, and he's five foot eight. So these are all very small. Again, small group of running backs. I, I'm not all the way through it. I know there's some monsters in here. In fact, the next guy on my list is um, 6'1", 223, Antonio Gibson. I just started watching him, but I haven't really put a, a spot on him. But Javon Leakey is—he's a bigger guy. He's more of a, a running back, running back as opposed to a guy that you split out and do all this wild stuff to. He's just, he's a running back who I think can be a receiver. He's more like the Jamal Williams, Aaron Jones guys. They're not natural receivers. They're running backs who I think can be receivers but probably aren't going to destroy anyone you know, in the middle of the field or anything. But almost exclusively outside zone, he really gets – I mean, he looks like he's 220 pounds. He's like a freight train. When he gets rolling into the outside, it's pretty scary. And then he finds that hole, one cut and go. I just think it's a fit thing. Again, he doesn't get me super excited, but I just think he's a sort of a tech. He understands, right? He, he understands how to properly do it. He does it properly. He gets five, six, seven, eight yards on those carries. Again, he's not super exciting, but I think he's good at what he's supposed to do. Um, and then the only guy I have in my love category so far is Salvin Ahmed out of Washington. Kind of a high-risk thing because I could see him not being super great, but my comp for him is Le'Veon Bell. Ridiculously patient behind the line of scrimmage. Extremely fast breakaway speed, really good receiver, kind of like J.J. Taylor, but not quite as quick and and fast and whatnot as a receiver. But at 5'11, 196, he's also a bigger dude compared to 5'6, 185. So I would almost say he's sort of like J.J. Taylor, but more of a, a every down back kind of a build. And I, I I love I love the upside of Salvin Ahmed again, Le'Veon Bell, except. Really bad pass blocker, and I believe Le'Veon Bell had a pretty good reputation as a pass blocker, so that's going to be somewhat problematic. He's got to work on that, but, um, yeah, again, another really instinctive guy. Much more patient, so I don't know if he's going to be high on the Packers list because that's not what they want. They want, you know, you grab the ball, you go, you find the hole, which develops for you. Salvin Ahmed is a guy that creates on his own. Not sure that's exactly what they're looking for. You know, if you want a guy that's a good pass blocker, would be good at outside zone which is we create you follow the program and then number three would be your ability to be a receiver Salvin Ahmed does not really follow that that line but I like him as a running back and his potential in the NFL and that's so far that's as far as I've gotten so again this isn't really like a Packers list if it was leaky, it would be higher. It's also not really so much of a who excites me the most list. It's kind of like if I were to just put money down on who has the most successful NFL careers, this is kind of how I would break it down. Some of these, and, and it's also hard because it's, it's, there are different types of receivers. Like how do you compare more of a true running back compared to a, a receiving back or a guy that's exclusively a receiving back compared to a guy that's a receiving back that can also be a running back? You know, it's, it's hard to, I don't have a conversion chart for that, so it's kind of hard to rank it But I do the best I can do, and that's where I'm at so far. Um, I've also put a, I don't know if I told you this already. Again, I don't know the speaking and thinking thing. I don't know which which is which. But I created a post in the Facebook group because a lot of people have said, hey, have you checked this guy out yet? And then I try to store it away in the back of my mind that somebody asked, but I don't have a running list. I just created a post in the Facebook group. If you want me to watch somebody, just add it. Um, If it's a position group I haven't done yet, it's going to wait because it's hard to contextualize it unless I've done it. But if it's a linebacker, wide receiver, defensive lineman, tight end, um, or I guess at this point running back, go ahead and throw them in the lane. You can throw them in either way, but it's going to have to wait until I do the p- other positions. So anyways, that's that. Super excited. I love watching running backs, man. It's one of my favorites. And it's, it's one of these things where the position groups I like the most are usually the ones that the Packers need because I'm forced to watch it. So we've always needed running backs, at least until Aaron Jones, you know, was a big need. Linebacker's always been a big need, so I really enjoy watching them. But those are probably my two favorites, are linebacker and running back. Anyway, since we're on the topic of the draft, I did get a question from Seth about Henry Ruggs. He said, is he closer to Tyreek Hill or John Ross? <sighs> I I mean, the obvious answer, if you have to pick, would be John Ross, but it, that I don't mean that in a negative way. John Ross was, you know, seen as a much better prospect as Tyreek Hill. Now, to be fair, I think Henry Ruggs is probably, I mean, I'm just going based on what I read of their scouting reports at the time, which is the most honest view of of what happened, rather than looking at what people say now, now that they know what they've become. So the the honest answer is not really either. Henry Ruggs is kind of his own guy. But if you look at it, Tyree Kill was a small school guy. He had subpar stats in college. He was really fast, but he was seen as small and soft right? If anybody got near him, he just went down. He already in college had a violent reputation. He pled guilty to choking and punching his girlfriend and ended up going in the fifth round. So he's a small guy with very small little amount of production at small schools. So even at small schools, he didn't dominate. He was smaller. He was soft. He was violent. There's just, there's nothing good about the guy other than obviously he's blazing fast and that could translate into something really good. John Ross was taken number nine overall, blazing speed, better route runner than Tyree Kill was, at least that's what people thought at the time, and he's also closer in size to Ruggs. The biggest difference, I think, is that uh, Ty- John Ross was also considered kind of soft. Right? He had a hard time getting off press. Henry Ruggs is seen as kind of a, a beast. He's bigger, he's tougher, and I think he's probably faster than both of them. So as a prospect, I tend to think that he's better. Now, my, my theory was the only reason he's probably going to go later than John Ross did is because it was a pretty stacked wide receiver group. And if you look at the wide receivers in that class, you would say, yeah, that was a pretty bad group. But I think John Ross was the third or fourth wide receiver to be selected. So that was also a class that had a lot. It, it, I don't remember what the hype was like, but they also had several that went. I know that was the Corey Davis year. That was the Titans had taken them earlier than they than he taken him earlier than they wanted to so he went earlier than expected so I, I have a hard time believing that the hype around that wide receiver class was was greater but maybe it was either way John Ross was let's call it the third wide receiver to go and he went ninth so you know again I, it's it's there's no question in terms of what prospect he would compare to it would be John Ross if we're talking about draft hype, because it's not, I mean, again, Tyreek Hill went in the fifth round. John Ross was a number nine overall pick. All three of them have blazing speed. John Ross is closer in size, but Henry Ruggs, again, faster than both of them, I believe. Bigger than both of them. Stronger than both of them. As far as route running, I'm not sure. Maybe John Ross was the better of the three, but that's that's sort of the impression I get based on what I'm reading. I mean, his maybe it's just that the people who are writing about Ruggs are just much more complimentary than the guys who wrote about John Ross and Tyree Kill. I got those two from NFL.com, so maybe they're just a little less flattering, than, um, and they don't have their scouting reports up yet, so I can't compare and contrast what NFL.com says about Henry Ruggs. But that would be the answer, as much as it sounds negative, because I'm guessing the spirit of the question is, is he going to end up being like Tyree Kill, or is he going to end up being like John Ross? I think the hope is that he's going to end up being like Tyree Kill, but again, the interesting aspect of that is... John Ross was the better prospect between Tyreek Hill and John Ross so do you want him to be more like John Ross or do you want him to be more like Tyreek Hill as a prospect you want him to to be like John Ross but then that also raises red flags because John Ross was (laughs) wasn't very good but you know again I you know there's got to be more to it than speed there's been a lot of guys that are super fast I think it was somebody I don't know if it was uh the draft network guys or what but Somebody had postulated that basically once you get to 4.35, you're just blazing fast. Then you've got that elite speed attribute. After that, it's all just kind of, what else do you have? And so Henry Ruggs might, you know, there's the tiniest of chances that if anyone's going to break the 4.2 barrier, it's going to be Henry Ruggs. Unbelievable speed. I already talked about how he's clocked at about 24 miles an hour, which Tyreek Hill has never done. I think like three years ago, he was clocked at 23-something, which was the fastest that the NFL, since they started their tracking of miles per hour on the field, that's the fastest they've ever recorded. And again, Henry Ruggs is a full mile an hour faster than that. But the biggest issue for Ruggs, as much as that's scary, and he's going to be able to do some crazy stuff with that speed, there's going to be times when he just destroys people. And and he's going to dictate the defenses, because even if he's nothing but speed, the point is, I'm just going to have him stand there and run go routes all the time because it's going to force you to put a safety over the top. And so if you just think about that from the perspective of the Packers, that's going to be comp- that's going to be somewhat of a problem. When you're used to putting safeties over by Devontae Adams to try to double them up, you're going to have to find some other strategies unless you want to put one safety over there and another safety over there and just have no safeties. All right, so it just creates that complication. But overall, that's not enough. I mean, it's something, but we've had guys that have done that that are just fast. I mean, MVS is just fast doesn't really mean much you got to be able to do more and that's the biggest question with rugs is what else and obviously nobody would put henry Ruggs in this category if he was just speed they believe that he's going to be more than that but uh we'll have to wait and see but to answer your question he's more of a john ross than a tyree kill and that's not necessarily a bad thing and since we're on the topic of uh, questions in the group and whatnot got a question from chris cole he says, when you guys rate or rank this draft class of wide receivers, are you taking into account the type of tolerance Rodgers has for unproven rookies? If he doesn't trust you, you're not getting the ball. This is why I think trading for a veteran wide receiver is the safest option. Um, I feel like there's two different kind of thoughts in there, and I'm not sure how they work together. But let's kind of disregard the first part of that, because I don't know how that fits in. But the idea of free agent versus the draft class because Rodgers doesn't like unproven rookies. I think that's sort of a half-truth. I think the question is competence versus incompetence. And, and granted, if you're a rookie, you probably take a little bit more time to get up to speed as a veteran, but I don't know that it's necessarily true that every wide receiver is is necessarily incompetent. There was a very big issue the year that we got Jmon, MVS, and Equinemius. Man, oh man, voice. But I, I think that was, I, I, I don't think, I know that that was a very rare and unique situation. And, um, you know, Rodgers directly called them out and was very frustrated. He also directed a lot of his frustration toward the wide receiver coach, apparently even going so far as to telling the wide receivers to stop listening to that dummy. You listen to me. You know, they did the carded practice and they couldn't even follow the instructions, which was basically just saying, you know, it was a card saying run this route. It, it's not even, it's, it's you're playing scout team and they couldn't even get that right, and Rodgers was beyond frustrated. Um, and so there there might be a bit of that, but I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think – again, I, I don't think you expect that, and I don't know that you necessarily super build into that. I know, for example, like with linebacker, they tend to like to draft guys that are coming from schools that are a little bit more intelligent because it's a heady kind of a position. Not every pos- position requires – you know, a lot of intelligence. Some of it is a lot more athletic than anything else. Everything has an element of athleticism and intelligence. I just think some are weighted more to one side than the other quarterback. I mean, you, you got to have it upstairs. I think linebacker, you have to have it upstairs. Wide receiver, you start to get much more into the physical aspect of it. But there's still, especially when you're working with Aaron Rodgers, who does a lot of stuff at the line, you have to know, obviously, you got to have the plays down. That's every single that's the reason intelligence is a big part of football in general. You, you have to at least be able to memorize this, but then also be able to think a couple steps ahead, understand what you're doing, understand what you're seeing, because even when you're seeing stuff, this is the big, another big problem with Aaron Rodgers and the wide receivers, is you can see the frustration because there should be adjustments made based on protections, and you can just see them looking at him going, dude, you weren't supposed to run that way, you're supposed to go that way, da-da-da-da-da. So I, I wouldn't put a lot on that. I think You need to go find talent, and the best way to do it is in the draft, and this is a very good wide receiver group, so you got to go do that. If you want to get a veteran just as an insurance policy, I think that's a good idea anyways, because regardless of that one dynamic, there's always the issue of needing possible development. But I don't know that you necessarily go into the process thinking that way, because you could say that about anything. I mean, anything you need an immediate need to, you could look at it and say, look, rookies generally don't do extremely well. If this is a need we need solved, we better get it taken care of in free agency. But, um, you know, we saw last year several rookie wide receivers have great first years. So I'm I'm not saying that's untrue. I think that is worth considering. And I I think they will. I've said I think they're going to do both. But I certainly, and I don't think you're saying this, but I certainly wouldn't just, I mean, the priority would still be the draft. In other words, I would go into free agency if that was my mentality. I would go into free agency to create a floor, not to go get a ceiling. Get somebody that's a veteran that's been around that understands. You know, they can come in. You give them the playbook. They're like, all right, I got this. They can build a rapport with Rogers. Which, by the way, even that doesn't work. Right, Jimmy Graham and Mercedes Lewis. They're real intelligent. They get it. They got it down. Great rapport with Rogers. It doesn't mean it works. Which is the other problem. And so, if you want competent and really good wide receiver you got to pay and again i don't know how much the packers are actually going to spend in terms of actual true dollars on a wide receiver not just because of this year because again in the first year you can keep that really low the bigger problem would be what about next year or the year after when that's when that cap hit goes way up and you still got devonte getting paid a ton of money you got two really expensive wide receivers i don't think that's the right way to do that so if you're going to go into free agency to set that floor to make sure that, hey, at the worst case scenario, we draft somebody and he's a bust, but we got Devontae and we got this guy who's probably going to be a number two. He's kind of at the level maybe of what Lazard gave us last year. So we got Devontae and then we got Lazard and then we got another kind of Lazard type guy who's a veteran, really intelligent. And that's just kind of what we're rolling with. But considering what we're paying Devontae, I think what you want to do is to get a rookie that can kind of fill that role. And, And you're always looking at building up but also replacing who's going to be the next Devante? hopefully the guy we draft this year and then hopefully we don't wait five six years before we draft another wide receiver in the first three rounds so that we don't have to go through this process of having only one wide receiver again if we happen to get one in the third or fourth round that's a really solid wide receiver because it's also a deep wide receiver group so that we have three wide receivers now and then when the day comes out Devante leaves we've got two really solid you know i'm, I'm not opposed to that either by the way but again the the, the focus always needs to be and you know We understood that Ted Thompson took a principle too far, but let's not act like Ted Thompson was just flat-out wrong. He's not wrong. He's right. He just took it a little too far. You do need to build through the draft. And really, I was thinking about this, the problem with free agency, although it can be, as we learned, a great tool, it's kind of admitting defeat. Your goal, your job as a GM is to build through the draft, and if you have to go into free agency, you kind of failed. You failed to do what needed to be done. Now, there's probably always going to be an element of that, because you only get so many picks, and it's hard to replace an entire roster every year. But it, I, And I think that was what Ted Thompson kind of understood. It was a shot to the ego to have to admit failure and go out into free agency and say, I couldn't do my job through the draft and find the talent necessary, so now I have to go pay to get a guy off of somebody else's roster that they drafted. Baltimore got is not us. Baltimore did the job and found the right guy. And by the way, they wanted to keep him. We just paid him a lot more, which is, again, kind of the problem. I'm not complaining about Cedarius. That's great. But the point is we should be trying to find these guys in the draft rather than waiting for them to to pay dividends as rookies for other teams and then pay ridiculous amounts of money for them to come play for us because that's unsustainable in the long run. And I'm I'm, I'm just saying and this. a lot of this is Ted Thompson's failures being fixed through free agency. But at some point, the free agency spending has to go down, and finding talented rookies needs to be a more regular occurrence. Again, I already highlighted yesterday how he's doing a good job. I'm just speaking in generality. And so when we talk kind of flippantly about, hey, we should go out into the free agency arena and get this, I think from a GM standpoint, it's, it's sort of... I think it's sort of an ego hit. You've got a deep wide receiver class and somebody comes to you as a GM and you've got this list of wide receivers that are going to fix the problem and they go, hey, look, maybe we should just go pay for that guy over there because we already know he's good just in case we can't find a guy. That might be the prudent move, but as a GM, it's like, dude, what did you just say to me? You're saying I can't get a good wide receiver out of this class? You're saying I can't fix this myself? I got to go pay for somebody else? I got to go pay for somebody off of somebody else's team because they're able to find talent and I'm not? Is that what you're saying to me? Again, I'm not saying, I'm just trying to present a perspective a gm that's good at his job finds talent on his own he doesn't have to poach off of other teams after finding wide receivers that they were able to find because you can't which is why you're going into free agency because you haven't been able to solve this issue yourself and again beyond the ego aspect is the fact that it's wildly unsustainable and you can see that with the packers one year they went in and went kind of heavy and already it's like all right we're we're kind of capped out here again we can make moves but it's nowhere near like we did last year, and you try to do that two or three years in a row, and you're just—it's over. It's—it's it's game over. So at some point, we got to kick this bad boy, and 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 knows that, and he's already doing that. We're stacking up uh, draft picks like we like Ted Thompson always did. I th- again, I think he's doing a good job as a, uh, a, a, a scouting talent type of GM, a guy that's finding talent, especially in the earlier rounds. I think he's done a good job. You look at. Uh, Again, Rashawn Gary still remains to be seen, but he got Darnell Savage, he got uh, Jair Alexander, he got Elton Jenkins. I mean, you look at first and second round picks, there's three picks that we believe are going to be very good. Uh, One, uh, Josh Jackson, that probably isn't going to pan out, although there's some glimmer of hope that we got at the end of last year. And then Rashawn Gary, which is a wait and see. But to have three out of five already pretty definitively locked up as at least good prospects, which maybe they're not as elite as some people had hoped. But again, understand the true context of maybe 50% of these first-round draft picks actually panning out. And, and by the way, once you get to about 11 or 12, massive drop-off in talent. I, I, I tracked this, I think last year or a couple months ago or whatever, trying to look at kind of where are, what is the success rate of certain picks? And there was a clear drop-off after about 10, 11. And, of course, the Packers are picking at 12, which was right at the rock bottom. There's there's almost no difference between 12 and I think it was like 19 or 20. It like flatlines. So, so you got the first, you know, the first one or two was probably really high. You know, little drop. And then you got three through like 10-ish. You still got that top 10 range, which is pretty solid. And then you get to 11 and 12, and it just plummets. So 12 feels like a high pick, but the success rate for the 12th overall pick is not that good. It's better than 30. But not by much. A high pick is what the Lions have right now, not pick 12. So for a guy that has never really had a high pick, that has had some mid-range picks, and I think has hit. And I, again, I'm I'm hopeful for Rashawn Gary. I'm I would say I'm above 50% that he's going to pan out to be a pretty good prospect. Call it 55%, but uh, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, for the sake of time, why don't we take our second break right now, and then we'll get through some of this uh, news that's been lingering for a while. We'll kind of do. As best as I can to not ramble, we'll try to just do rapid fire and get through some of this stuff. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing. But they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. So there was a cool little tidbit I thought I'd share with you. This is from NFL Stats. It's something on Twitter. I don't know. I didn't verify this. I probably should. But I'll just tell you. And if I verify it later and it's a lie, then I will I will disavow. But it's most quarterback hits since 2017. Number one, Aaron Donald, not surprisingly. Number two, Mr. Zedarius Smith was 78. Actually, let me just check right now. That shouldn't be too hard to figure out. So let's just go... Uh, year by year, just looking at quarterback hit, which is kind of a random thing, but whatever. So this year, Zadarius Smith had the second most quarterback hits of anybody. Matthew Judon, who I think is about to get a massive, I think he was actually about to get tagged is what the the comment was, but um, for Baltimore. Baltimore, you know, doing a good job getting these edge rushers. They're the ones that got Zedarius. So really, they got Zedarius and Matthew Judon had the two highest quarterback hits. It's not a bad thing that one of the top guys that helped to get Zedarius and Matthew Judon is now with the Green Bay Packers, and that's Mr. Milt Hendrickson. So that was a great pickup for the Green Bay Packers. Hopefully we can hang on to the guy for a while. But that was 2019, second most. Third most was T.J. Watt, then Calais Campbell, Nick Bosa, Shaquille Barrett. Go down the list. Um, He was one of only two that were over 20, and he had 22. The third highest, T.J. Watt had 19. In 2018, he was the third highest. And uh, the two above them were Yannick Ngakwe with Jacksonville and Michael Bennett with Philadelphia. Zedaria Smith had 17 that year. D. Ford. So, I mean, if you just go down this list, and by the way, this is just edge rushers, so, you know, Aaron Donald obviously is higher than this, and he must be way higher than everybody. But uh, you can already see he was second and third, and really nobody that was on last year. This year's list was on last year's list of the top five, aside from Z'Darrius Smith. And then 2017... Zedarius, he's not even super on here <laughs> there he is 15th he had 12 hits so I mean it's, it's been going straight up from 12 to 17 to 22 obviously the breakout year was 2018 but I mean again the, the really exciting thing and I'm I am worried about somewhat of a decline in his production not saying he's going to be bad but it was just it was such an unsustainably high ridiculously awesome year I'm a little concerned that you know, how much of it is actually Zadarius. I mean, who is the real Zadarius? It's kind of the question for a lot of these guys. Okay, if that was too high, what is sort of the, the norm? And it's hard to predict because he's been on an arrow going straight up. Maybe where he's at last year is his norm. Maybe he's going to continue to go up. Maybe he's going to kind of come back down. I don't really know. But the exciting thing about this is, especially if you look back over the last two years, It's really hard to argue that Zadarius hasn't been one of the best pass rushers in the NFL. One of the least or most underappreciated, for sure. But it doesn't really matter. I don't really care about the accolade. Um, Again, for his sake, I do, about all the the Pro Bowl and all that. It doesn't matter. I mean, would you trade Zadarius for a guy that's not as good but goes to the Pro Bowl? Of course not, because it doesn't... how, How you play is what matters. But anyways, that was pretty cool. A little bit of around the NFL news, Uh, some talk, and again, this probably doesn't super matter, but everything kind of works indirectly, and it's something to keep in mind when we try to figure out the landscape of how things are going to work out. One of the biggest questions is, where is Jameis going to go? And again, part of the reason that that matters is, as these shuffle, that then changes who does what in free agency, it also changes who does what in the draft, and all of those bits of information matter for the Green Bay Packers, even though quarterback maybe doesn't directly in somewhat of an indirect way it does, but uh, apparently they're working on possibly a two-year extension for Jameis Winston. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are, so he may be staying. This is going to be some boring situation where a lot of these guys stay. Jameis is going to stay. Brady's going to stay. Flacco's going to end up staying. Everybody's just going to stay, except one or two guys that are going to go somewhere, but there's that. A little bit more of a direct, interesting thing. Again, I don't know if this is within necessarily our price range, but it is something that is to consider and as a guy that I really like. Apparently A. J. Green would like out of Cincinnati. Now some people maybe said, Well duh, that isn't the vibe I've been getting from him. I really thought he wanted to stay. Which is inexplicable to me why anybody would want to stay. But you look at uh look at Larry Fitzgerald, right? Some guys are just like, look, this is my home, this is where I'm at, this is where my family's at, this is a job and I get paid well in this city. I like the city. I like the team. I like the fans. I'm good. And I, I kind of just got that vibe from A.J. Green that he just wanted to stay. He didn't want to get tagged, but he also kind of followed that up with, but if that's what they want to do, then that's what we'll do. In other words, he didn't really even say that he would fight the tag. However, and again, with guys down in Indy right now, you're starting to hear some more stuff, even though this was from a few days ago, but an NFC executive, so some high-up person for some NFC team, told Jeremy Fowler of ESPN that he thinks A.J. Green wants out, which means probably although i don't know that this is even legal you've got nfl executives gms whatever who are reaching out and talking to agents and agents are speaking on behalf of their client and that's how you would get a statement like that because gms who are talking to aj green's agent are getting the impression that he wants to be somewhere else so that's something interesting to consider and again, of course it makes sense. A.J. Green has no future there. He doesn't have much of a future anywhere. It's about retirement time for him. But, I mean, it's it's not a good team. They've already got a wide receiver. They're, they're run horribly. Um, do I think he's coming to Green Bay? No. But again, something a lot of Packer fans are keeping an eye on, so it's worth checking out. Also, it's not a bad thing, because if he hits free agency... It, it ju- We want as many wide receivers to flood into the market as possible because it, raises, it it lowers the price for wide receivers and it raises our likelihood of getting someone better. If there's one wide receiver that makes it, we're not getting them. If A.J. Green goes in, suddenly he's the top guy. And so everyone kind of gets pushed down. So somebody that took the guy that we wanted is suddenly going to get A.J. Green and then our guy gets filtered down a little bit, you know what I mean? So even even A.J. Green... Hitting the market and going to a different team, not the Green Bay Packers, still likely is going to positively affect the Green Bay Packers. i um, looking at the Chicago Bears, a couple of things. Some of this is obviously older news, but the Bears did release wide receiver Taylor Gabriel and cornerback Prince of Mukamura. I've been saying for a while, Prince of Mukamura is pretty much a guaranteed out the door. Taylor Gabriel was never really a good pickup. Some people are wondering, should he come to Green Bay? I don't really think so. I was kind of mocking the Bears when they picked up Taylor Gabriel because he's he's a fast guy that's just a fast guy that isn't really good at much else. Now, could he be that guy that, like I just talked about, sort of sets that floor so that just in case we don't have a good situation at wide receiver, at least we have Taylor Gabriel and Alan Lazard, and they're kind of complementary. So now we got Lazard, who's the big body guy. You got Devontae, who's sort of the quick, shifty guy. And then you got Taylor Gabriel, who's the speed guy. Sure. I guess I could see that. But in terms of What a lot of people think, could Taylor Gabriel be like the guy? I don't think he's ever going to be the guy anywhere. I don't know that he's necessarily even that good of a number two. Again, I was kind of mocking the Bears for picking him up. Like, dude, what are you doing? And he didn't have an impact there, just like he didn't have an impact anywhere. And no, I don't think it's because he's just played for bad quarterbacks, because that's not even the case. Taylor Gabriel spent a lot of his time with the Atlanta Falcons. That was a very good unit with a good quarterback and a good group, and he didn't have that much of an impact there. And obviously they let him go, the Bears picked him up, they decided to let him go. But anyways, as a result of that, the Bears releasing them have cleared up $13.5 million worth of cap space, so right now they're sitting at about $27 million. Again, for the Bears, it was never really like the Vikings to where this isn't something they can't fix. They were in a tough financial situation so that they had to do something negative. In other words, do you cut Prince of Mukamura if you don't have to? I don't think so. Not that he's anything super special, but how much worse is your team now? They were looking for cornerbacks already. They're trying to find cornerbacks. That was a priority going into last year, and they went out and drafted, I think, what, Duke Shelley? I mean, they didn't have any capital, so they couldn't get anyone super, super good. But that was already a priority. Fuller has has completely fallen off because Fangio and his scheme isn't there anymore, so now none of their DBs are really all that great anymore, including this elite safety that everybody said is the greatest ever because, you know, he had one good year under Fangio when everybody had a great year. But, so, again, there's there's a positive and a negative for our, As Packer fans, you hate to see, oh, man, they just cleared up all that space, so now they're not in salary capture. But nobody's going to be in salary. The Vikings are going to figure out a way. Nobody's going to go into the season going, I don't know, we have no options. They're going to do stuff. The thing is, it's always going to be a negative part to that there's going to be a negative component either you're going to push money back which is going to cause more problems in the future meaning there's going to be even more years of you not being able to do anything in free agency and having to cut guys before you'd like to or you're just going to cut people now in which case you know similar to what they just did with their edge rusher of course they don't want to do that they have to do that because they didn't manage their cap well and so they lost taylor gabriel they already don't have very good wide receivers. i mean they have one they have one good wide receiver and again taylor gabriel is not great But how much worse are you without him? Much worse. So now your wide receiver group, which was not that good to begin with, is even worse, with a quarterback who's not very good. And now your corners, which that group was not very good now, just got a lot worse because Amukamura was at least decent. He wasn't elite. I mean, he was, again, that one year, 2018, when everybody was great. Prince Amukamura was one of the top corners in the game because of Vic Fangio. But he just kind of regressed back to who he always was, which is an average to decent kind of a corner. Now he's gone. So, you know, again, they've got $27 That's going to help them, but they did it by... And again, Taylor Gabriel maybe was going to go anyway, but Amukamura hurts a little bit. I mean, it's it's a prudent move. He's getting old anyways. But again, the problem is they're not backfilling these positions. So whereas... Most teams might see that as a prudent move anyways, and maybe at long-term vision, this is time for them to go. There should have been a contingency plan to backfill these these positions. The problem is the Bears have no cap space because of Khalil Mack. They have no picks because of Khalil Mack, so they did not go out and get a new corner outside of Duke Shelley, who was a late-round pick because they only had late-round picks because of Khalil Mack and a bunch of other moves like trading up to get Trubisky, which was a nightmare. And so Duke Shelley provides nothing because he's a late-round guy, and I don't think there's much of an expectation that he's going to at any point. And so all you're doing is these general prudent moves that most GMs would do, but without any backfill, which means your, your, your team just gets worse. It's not a matter of, okay, next man up, and he kind of fills that void. Maybe he's not quite as good, but he's still pretty good. No, that doesn't exist here. And again, I, I don't actually think Ryan Pace does that bad of a job drafting, which is the problem. I mean, again, Trubisky was a nightmare, but you look at some of his picks. I actually I like a lot of his picks, but he decided to give them all away because as a as a general sense, as a GM, I don't think he's a good GM. I think he does a, a, a maybe better-than-average job drafting, but as far as cap management, as far as just management in general, this this is a nightmare. And then, of course, the, the biggest pick of all... When you got to go and get a quarterback, first of all, not only did you trade up to get the worst one in that entire group, but I think you got duped to trade up. The, the team that was one spot in front of them convinced the Bears that somebody was going to trade up and take their quarterback. They needed to trade up. And so they did. They gave away the farm to trade up one spot when they were the next team on the list. And then rumor has it, nobody was calling. He got duped. And the funny thing is, he, if he had stayed. More than likely, his quarterback, which is the wrong quarterback, would have been there. But even if he wasn't, it would have saved him, and he would have ended up picking a different quarterback, probably, which would have been a better pick. Oh, I I just, I love when we start talking about the Bears, because it just, I mean, one of these days, they're going to have another good team, and they're going to have a run. It's going to happen. But as long as they keep doing what they're doing, as far as from the the top end, with with guys like Ryan Pace, it's just, it's never going to get better. And everybody freaks out because they do these big moves in free agency. And every time they do, it's like, this is a bad decision. And I said that at the time. I didn't want Khalil Mack because of what he was, he was commanding. And I, I had thanked the Bears at the time from saving us from ourselves because apparently Brian Gutekunst was all in on giving him all the money and all the picks. And I just think it was, it was way too much. So thank you, Chicago Bears. Uh, beyond that, further Chicago Bears news, they are quietly, according to Benjamin Albright, who I believe is a pretty reliable source, they're quietly looking at quarterback options. Why are they quietly looking? Because they're trying to put out the facade that, that Mitch Trubisky is the guy, all the while knowing this probably isn't going to pan out. Uh, I'll, I'll read his full tweet here. It says, Bears are quietly looking at quarterback options. Trubisky will still get a shot to be the guy, but much like the Titans and Mariota last year, the leash is short. They would prefer vet ready-to-play options. If the Raiders were to move on from Carr, they'd be interested. Derek Carr, by the way, $21.5 million cap hit. So this would mean that they would have to do even more um, in terms of freeing up some space. And Well, I guess that's not necessarily true because they could take his contract and extend him, which would lower the overall cap hit, which I, I wouldn't be a fan of that because I think Carr's a decent quarterback. I mean, at least we wouldn't have to worry about them drafting some kind of elite quarterback we're going to have to worry about for the next 10, 15, 20 years, which is always a fear. You know, one of these, the Vikings, Lions, or Bears are one of these days going to draft an Aaron Rodgers and are just going to be at the top for 20 years and it's going to be a nightmare. That's never going to happen with a guy like Carr. But if they've got a good enough defense with guys like Allen Robinson and a good enough running back, Carr, I think, could at least navigate that. Again, he's not elite, but he's, he's good. And it would just at least make the Bears a little bit more scary. However, they do continue to fall apart. And if you're going to pay Derek Carr, and that's the thing, if you're going to extend him, you're going to have to pay him big boy money. If you just keep him at what he's at as a short-term rental, then you've got to take the $21 million cap as it is, which means 21.5 of your 27 gets taken off. There's no restructuring, but not extending. That's not an option. Like, hey, you can come over here, by the way, we're only going to pay you half of this. And it's a one-year thing. The other thing that would be fantastic about that is that it's going to cost draft capital. So the Bears, again, don't have a first-round pick. They do have two second-round picks. I don't know what Derek Carr would cost in terms of of draft capital, but it would be very exciting because Derek Carr would come here. It would eat up a, a good portion of their cap. And then they would have to, again, give up draft capital, which is the most precious thing, especially for the Chicago Bears. They need it more than anything. Because, again, they're not backfilling these positions. And they you're, every year you're going to be losing guys, and the question is who's going to step up and fill that role. And the answer is always nobody. Because you haven't been bringing anybody in, at least anybody that is a competent football player. But actually that's not entirely true. If I'm looking at this, so he's got three years left on his contract. So if the Bears took him on, they would have three years left. I believe they would just be paying the base salary plus the workout bonus, which is mostly just the base salary. So it would be in 2020 18.9 million, in 2021 it would be 19.5, and then in 2022 it would be 19.7. I don't know exactly what the guaranteed structure is, but I'm guessing most of the guarantees are pretty well burnt up. Meaning they can bring him in for relatively cheap. He's only 28 years old, so if, I mean, if, if there's anything there to work with, I mean, there's no saying the guy couldn't play for 10 more years. And then there's no there's no real guarantees, so you could bring him in, and you got him on a, like a three-year rental, and it's relatively cheap. Again, we're under $20 million every single year. So it, the, the the problem is there's no such thing as too good to be true. So if you're going to get a guy like Derek Carr and get an upgrade like Derek Carr for only $18, 19000000 or whatever, you're going to pay. And I I can tell you right now, at a minimum, I would think you're giving up both of those second-round picks because the, the fact of the matter is, Not only do the Raiders want to maybe bring in a vet, they're talking about giving a huge pile of money to the Patriots. Excuse me, not to the Patriots, to Tom Brady, who is a free agent, so they'll give nothing to the Patriots. But also, you have to think that there's a good possibility that they want to build up a bunch of draft picks so that they can move up. They've already got two first-round picks, but you package those two first-round picks and, let's say, two second-round picks, how high in this draft can you go? Could you possibly move up with the Lions, which would be a nightmare because then the Lions have two first-round picks and three second-round picks but could you, and and the lions would love that by the way because again they got a head coach and a GM that are are ready to go out the door so load up on as much talent as you can get to try to save this this year so that you don't lose your job but the raiders move up to 3 they get a guy like Tua I still think that's an underrated possibility that people aren't talking about that they'd move Derek Carr to get an additional pick or picks so that they could package that move up and get a guy like Tua nobody wants to talk about it but I will but the other aspect of it is the again like the the extension portion of it Spot track has his market value at about $27 million, so if they did want to extend him, and of course Derek Carr, who doesn't really have a say in it, still does have kind of a say in it. We've seen this in the past where two teams decide to work out a trade, and the player is like, just so you know, I'm not playing for that team, Le'Veon Bell. And then the team that wanted to trade for him is like, you know what, nah, we don't really want him, it's fine. Because you're not going to pay and give up draft picks for a guy that's openly saying I'm not playing for them. So you just pull it, and you're like, no, I'm not doing it. And then the Steelers are like, you would you shut your mouth, please? Because players do have pull, as much as people don't want to admit it. Oh, boy, running out of time. Go quickly now. Actually, we're <laughs> way over time. You know we're going to stop. It's only a couple little uh, Lions things. We'll just mention it tomorrow. It's already over anyways. Happened a while ago. But, um, yeah, that's it. You folks have yourselves a fantastic Monday. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.